Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Former President Trump soon arriving in New York City. We bring you live updates from Trump Tower where there is a heavy security presence. The most expensive judicial election in U.S. history. How Wisconsin's vote for a new state Supreme Court justice could affect the 2024 presidential election. Elections are facing staffing shortages as harassment, misinformation, and other issues cause elections officials to throw in the towel. Senators hear testimony. Twitter removes the verified checkmark status from the New York Times after it refused to pay the new monthly fee. The newspaper says it has no plans to shell out any money. Former President Trump is leaving Florida right about now. He's en route to New York City for his arraignment in the case brought by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. NTD's Melina Weiskup is on the ground at Trump Tower. Melina, what's the atmosphere like there right now? Hi, Kevin. Yeah, so the interest is quite high here. Um, there is a strong security president presence, strong media presence, and even just passers-by are just stopping, taking photos. And the interest is understandable because this is an unprecedented time, the first time in American history that a president has been indicted and charged with uh, crimes. So as far as the security presence, I know we've seen a lot in the media about how much how many officers are here? Uh, New York Police Department tells me that they do have 35,000 police officers total, but there's, they're not all on the ground. They say that the good majority are here, uh, but they can't confirm the exact number. So uh, even though we've seen those media reports, you know, the number is kind of fluctuating. Um, now, as far as what's going to happen on the ground here, the traffic will be cut, will be, um, traffic will be cut off from 55, 56, and 57th Street between 5th Avenue and Madison. Security will tighten as it gets closer to Trump's arrival. So that's kind of what the atmosphere looks like here. Interest is very high, Kevin. And did you get a chance to speak with any Trump supporters, Melina? Yeah, Kevin. So I know you just saw uh, we panned over and showed you those, those signs. Those Trump supporters arrived about an hour ago. At first, there was just two or three and then more came in. We did speak to some of them. Here's what they told us. The security here is quite tight. Some people may say, oh, these Trump supporters are coming. They're maybe going to threaten some violent acts. What is your message to those who think that your presence here may be threatening? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how the press and the police and the government and all these other and all these and even congressmen are saying that we're the violent ones. We're going to start violence. We know there's not going to be any violence today. Everybody here knows that. And the only reason there were violence January 6th was because they let them in the gates. They let them through the gates. Okay, that's the only reason. They're not going to let us through the gates today. When Donald Trump comes here, they're going to put they're going to put trucks here. They're going to surround the entire building, and they're not going to let us through. January 6th, they let them in. So you're promising that you guys are peaceful. Of course, we're peaceful protesters. Well, boy, outrageous. At most, it should be a misdemeanor. At most, and I don't even think it should be that. And the man is being charged with a felony because Soros is paying this man to fight to remove him from the 2024 uh, race to be president. They're afraid of him because he exposed the Senate and the Congress for what they are. And Molina, what about the turnout of the Trump supporters? Was it anything like they expected? Yeah, so when we talked to the organizer, Dion, that first guy that you saw, he said, I asked him about what turnout he's expecting at this protest today. He said that surprisingly, he's not expecting 
very much. He said in the past he would just snap his fingers and many people would come and join these types of protests. But after January 6th, he says uh, people are afraid to come out and voice their opinions, especially on this issue specifically. Now we'll pan over one more time and just show you there are a couple of cars in the way. But so earlier there was about three people. Now it's kind of extended, I would say about 15 to 20 people. They're carrying these huge signs over here. And Dion, the organizer, tells me that they're planning to stay here the entire day until Trump arrives. So quite an interesting scene out here. We'll see what happens. We'll be on the ground covering it for you later this evening as well. Well, Melina, thank you so much for the update and for bringing that concern to light. And now normal procedures would have Trump surrender at the DA's office for booking. He would then be fingerprinted, have his mugshot taken, and be read his Miranda rights. He would then be arraigned at a courtroom in the same building. A copy of the indictment with details revealing these charges would be given to his defense team. Here's NTD's Jeremy Sandberg with more on what we know so far. Trump said on Truth Social he will be leaving Mar-a-Lago at noon Monday and heading up to Trump Tower in New York. The former president is expected to arrive at the Manhattan Courthouse Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. local time. His arraignment is scheduled for 2.15 p.m. Streets around the courthouse will be locked down with a heavy NYPD and Secret Service presence. A Manhattan grand jury voted to indict Trump on Thursday last week. The exact charges are unknown as the indictment is still sealed. Two sources familiar with the matter told the Associated Press he is facing multiple charges of falsifying business records, including at least one felony offense. They spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss information that is not yet public. Former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr says from a legal standpoint, the case against Trump seems pathetically weak. It's the uh, archetypal uh, abuse of the prosecutorial function to engage in uh, a political hit job and uh, it's a disgrace. Trump denies any wrongdoing and says he's the victim of extortion. Trump's lawyer, Joe Tacopina, says Tuesday is just the beginning. He says he will dissect the indictment once he gets it and devise the next legal steps. A judge could issue a gag order to stop Trump from talking about the case. It could bring fines and jail time if he breaks silence. Trump could appeal the order if he feels it's interfering with his ability to inform voters. The 2024 presidential candidate is set to deliver remarks Tuesday night in Florida at Mar-a-Lago following the arraignment. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Trump's speech at Mar-a-Lago tomorrow night is scheduled to start at 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time. And Trump's lawyer, Joe Takapina, says one thing that is clear about Tuesday is they will be pleading not guilty. He says he's looking to challenge every potential issue once the indictment is unsealed. He also says he anticipates a motion to dismiss is coming. Here's Takapina on CNN yesterday. I honestly don't know how this is going to go. Hopefully as smoothly as possible. And then we begin the, uh, the battle to right this wrong because it's a, it's a really, it's a day that, in my opinion, the rule of law in the United States has died. There's no law that fits this. And you have a situation where, you know, the federal government, the Department of Justice turned this matter down. Um, the FEC, which governs uh, federal election uh, laws, said there's no violation here. Yet somehow a state prosecutor has taken a, a misdemeanor and tried to cobble together to make it a felony by alleging a violation of federal, federal uh, campaign violations. And the FEC said it doesn't exist. This is a case of political persecution. Had he not been running for office right now, for the office of the presidency, which, by the way, the polls have shown since this has been announced, his numbers have gone up significantly. Had he not been running for presidency, he would not have been indicted. Had he been John Smith, there's no scenario where he'd been indicted. 
Takabina says he believes people on both sides of the aisle agree the prosecution is an abuse of power. He says he's looking forward to moving things along as quickly as possible to exonerate Trump. He stated he has no reason to believe the judge holds any bias towards his client. Trump's campaign says it raised over $4 million in the first 24 hours after news broke of his indictment. Over a quarter of that was from first-time donors. Another million dollars was raised the next day. NTD will have live coverage on Trump's case tomorrow morning. That starts at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. So tune in to stay updated on the events and hear analysis as we all learn the details. The New York Times lost its verified checkmark status on Twitter on Sunday. The move comes after CEO Elon Musk announced efforts to crack down on users avoiding payments. Spokesperson for the newspaper says it won't pay the monthly fee to get it back. Twitter's new policy says that verified checkmarks are now offered only through a paid subscription. Organizations will have to fork up $1,000 a month to obtain gold checkmarks, while individuals can get blue checks for a starting price of $7 in the U.S. Musk later called the New York Times hypocritical for being aggressive about making people pay for their subscription while refusing to do the same for Twitter. Wisconsin voters are electing a new state Supreme Court justice, and whoever wins the race will have a significant impact on the state and possibly on the entire nation. Here's the story. Wisconsin is in the midst of the most expensive judicial election in U.S. history. As of last week, nearly $45 million has been spent, far outstripping the previous record of around $15 million. If you had told people who were election watchers 10 years ago that there would be $40 million spent or that a candidate on their own would have raised $12 million, like Janet Protosiewicz is, they, they would have laughed in your face. Liberal Janet Protosiewicz is running against conservative Daniel Kelly. Wisconsin's Supreme Court currently holds a 4-3 to three conservative majority, but a conservative justice is retiring, so a winner will determine whether conservatives maintain that majority or if it flips to liberal control. The election is technically nonpartisan. However, neither candidate seems to hide their ideological bent, like Protosewitz's take on abortion. Judge Janet Protosewitz believes in women's freedom to make their own decisions when it comes to abortion. Daniel Kelly. Or Kelly, who's accusing his opponent of being soft on crime. We can't afford to have judges who put their own agendas above the law. It's time we start prioritizing justice again, not politics. Vote Daniel Kelly for Wisconsin Supreme Court. According to a Wisconsin professor of journalism, Wisconsin Supreme Court could have nationwide impact during the 2024 presidential election. Wisconsin is always a very close state in presidential election politics, and usually there's some kind of legal action taken after the election. And so when we come to the next presidential election, we would again suspect the election will be close. We suspect that the loser might have an incentive to pursue legal action. That would go to the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. And so who wins this race will control which side has the majority in that case. However, although conservatives held the majority, the court sided against former President Trump case in 2020. The election for the new justice is said to be held on Tuesday. Harassment of election officials, misinformation, and frivolous lawsuits. Elections are facing mounting staffing problems as many experienced poll workers are driven to retire. And today's Daniel Monahan has that story. Senator Amy Klobuchar heard testimony on the problems elections are facing. During a Senate Rules Committee hearing, the Minnesota senator highlighted one area of particular urgency. The need to counter the barrage of threats and harassment targeting election workers from those seeking to undermine our democracy. 
Klobuchar says one in three election officials are concerned about their safety because of their job, and nearly one in six have received threats. She mentioned some officials had even experienced death threats and touched on their possible causes. We must tackle the root causes of disinformation that spreads online and the impact it has on our democracy. Senator Deb Fisher called the administration of free and fair elections one of the most fundamental aspects of American democracy. Fisher adds that states play the leading role in such elections. This is what our founding fathers intended. Our role in Congress is to support state and local election officials. Fisher warned against any so-called one-size-fits-all federal takeover of elections. Senator Ted Cruz reacted to the testimony. Every American wants election processes that they can trust and that are neutrally applied. But Cruz says that secretaries of state or even state Supreme Court sometimes go against their own laws with the aim of skewing rules towards what he called a preferred outcome. He says that undermines the faith of the American public in the democratic process. Cruz says one example is voter IDs. The Texas senator says 82% of Americans support voter IDs and 62% of Democrats. Voter ID, I believe, should be a basic minimum requirement for a free and fair election. But Cruz says voter ID laws are opposed by nearly every Democrat in Congress and many Democratic secretaries of state. Voting by mail was also addressed. Senator Michael Bennett touted Colorado's 95% vote by mail rate while Marsha Johnson of the Lawyers' Committee for Civil Rights testified that voting by mail is a very secure form of voting. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says the stakes are high in the 2024 election. The Republican governor highlighted his vision for the nation at a Pennsylvania leadership conference on Saturday. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us more. DeSantis says a left-wing agenda is being imposed on U.S. society. He singled out education, corporate America, and the media. The Florida governor highlighted his state's success in fighting against the so-called woke mob. He predicts that if the Democratic Party is successful in 2024, it will try to pack the Supreme Court, abolish the Electoral College, and make Washington, D.C. a state to gain Democrat senators. The Florida governor painted a picture of struggle and sacrifice. Leadership's not cost-free. When you step out, it could be a governor like me. It could be a mother who just goes to a school board meeting who's concerned with going on. They're going to come after you. Uh, they're going to attack you. And you're going to have to make those sacrifices if you want to save our country. DeSantis says a battle lies ahead for conservatives. This is a responsibility that we as conservatives have at this time in our history. It's not something that we should shrink from. It's something that we should welcome. We need to be strong. We need to hold the line, and we can never, ever back down. And alluded to a divine origin of the nation's birth. After all, we believe in the founding creed of this country that our rights do not come from government. They come from the hand of Almighty God. Karen Bosco was at the conference. She discussed potential presidential candidates for 2024. Bosco says personal attacks rub her the wrong way and prefers for presidential hopefuls to stay on message. I look for someone who's willing to fight, especially when it's not convenient to do so. Fight for the issues. Todd Kiefer is rooting for candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. He doesn't expect him to win the Republican nomination, but is glad he's running. Kiefer says Ramaswamy understands the issues of surrendering sovereignty to so-called global elitists meeting in Davos. 
brilliantly spinning up ESG as the enforcement mechanism to push the entire world to their agenda. The Pennsylvania Leadership Conference was established in 1989 by a group of conservative activists. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up after deadly tornadoes hit the Midwest, volunteers are stepping up to help people in need. And the president of George Mason University responds to students who are protesting their commencement speaker, the Virginia governor. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. Aid workers ramped up relief efforts in hard-hit Arkansas on Sunday. This as the death toll from tornadoes that ravaged parts of the Midwest rose to at least 32 over the weekend. We started coordinating as the storms were still rolling in because we knew that there would be a need. So what we've been doing over the past couple of days is preparing meals in our commercial kitchen and then pushing them out into the communities. We came out this morning, we did uh, 300 uh, breakfast. Volunteers gathered at churches and charity centers in Little Rock, Arkansas. They prepared food for residents affected by the violent tornado. The meals they cooked and packaged were distributed by the Salvation Army, Goodwill, and other aid groups. President Biden declared a major disaster in Arkansas on Sunday. He ordered federal aid to help with the recovery. A California police union official has been accused of importing fentanyl from multiple countries and then shipping it around the United States from her home. 64-year-old Joanne Segovia is the executive director of the San Jose Police Officers Association. Officials say she used her personal and work computers to order thousands of pills to her house from places like China, Singapore, and India, which she then sent all over the United States. Segovia denies the charge and told federal agents that a woman she identified as a family friend and a housekeeper was the likely culprit. An attorney in Florida who represented survivors of sexual abuse crimes was recently arrested on possession of child pornography. FBI agents said they searched Michael Dulce's apartment and found that he was actively downloading child pornography. They recovered nearly 2,000 images and videos. Dulce faces a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. His attorney didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. His Florida bar profile says he has been practicing law in Florida since 1995. Virginia's governor is giving the commencement address at George Mason University this year, but some students aren't happy. Now the president of the university is defending his decision. Soon after the university announced Governor Glenn Youngkin's invite, a student launched a change.org petition against it. The student said it contradicts the school's values. Youngkin has supported legislation similar to other current Republican governors. The president of George Mason said it's Virginia's most diverse public university. He said diversity includes having a diversity of ideas and called on the school community to support free speech. Evan Gershkovitz, a Wall Street Journal reporter based in Russia, was detained last week on charges of espionage. This is the first time an American journalist has been detained on such accusations by Moscow since the Cold War. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg today called on Russia to release the journalist. 
I uh, joined the United States in their uh, uh, call on Russia to release um, uh, the American journalist Evan uh, Gajkovic uh, to uh, ensure that uh, uh, his rights to work as a journalist uh, are respected. Stoltenberg said the arrest is of major concern as a matter of press freedom. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. It was a rare phone call between the two diplomats. Blinken also demanded the immediate release of Gershkovich and former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan. Kosovo's former president, Hashim Thaci, pleads not guilty to 10 charges of war crimes and crimes against humanity. His trial opened today at a special court in The Hague. He faces allegations of persecution, murder, torture, and the forced disappearance of people. The charges stem from the 1998-99 insurgency that eventually brought Kosovo independence from Serbia and made Thaci a hero among his countrymen. Thaci and three co-defendants all pleaded not guilty. They were former close associates in the Kosovo Liberation Army and later in peacetime politics. More than 13,000 people are believed to have died during the insurgency. Conservatives have won a national election in Finland. The opposition National Coalition Party claimed victory in the Nordic country's hard-fought parliamentary election. The National Coalition Party won around 21% of the vote and about 50 of 200 possible seats in parliament. They were followed by the Populist Finns Party with about 20%, while the Social Democrats had around 19%. Finland's Prime Minister Sanna Marin of the ruling Social Democratic Party conceded defeat. Marin, now 37, was the world's youngest Prime Minister when she took office in 2019. She faced criticism for her partying and her government's public spending. Montenegro's former economy minister declares victory after a presidential runoff. It's been more than three decades since the small Balkan Republic elected a new president. Yakov Militovic won on campaign promises to lessen corruption and improve living standards. He also promised to bring Montenegro into the European Union. In the country's capital, some of his supporters honked their car horns, while others set off fireworks or fired guns into the air. Estimates say Militovic won about 60% of the total vote, while the long-standing incumbent secured about 40%. Scientists have recorded the deepest ever fish. Last September, a sea robot filmed this snailfish just above the seabed off Japan at a depth of 27,000 feet. Scientists also physically caught two other fish at 26,000 feet. That's a new record for the deepest catch. The fish have tiny eyes, a translucent body, and no swim bladder. Scientists from the University of Western Australia and Tokyo University of Marine Science and Technology released the footage. It's part of a 10-year study into the deepest fish populations in the world. A Mexican climber is taking on a challenge. She'll spend a full month alone on the country's highest peak at an altitude of over 18,000 feet. I'm 15 meters below the mountaintop. This is the warmest area of the volcano. Right here comes out smoke, like vapor, and it is warmer. That's why I'm here. But after a three-minute walk, I'm already on top. So every day I go there, I record videos, see the sunrise, come back, and I'm reading, for example, the Bible. So I spend most of my time reading and meditating. 
The mountaineer says she enjoys pushing her body to the limit, and she was inspired by a Spanish climber who spent two months at a higher altitude decades ago. She herself started climbing five years ago and has conquered 160 peaks so far. The current challenge will keep her at the summit of this dormant volcano until April 20th. Weather and cold temperatures are some of the dangers she faces, along with loneliness. But a group of fellow climbers come up to bring her food and clean clothes once a week. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. 